0: I'm so excited for this week's episode I know I say that every week, but for real this week
1: I'm excited every single week
0: I mean I am too,
1: but But I'm excited
0: We have a celebrity this week Yeah Welcome to this week's edition of An Hour of Your Life. My name is Kim.
1: And my name is Steve.
0: And on the phone, we we have super famous local meteorologist, Kirstie Zontini. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show, Kirstie. Thank you so much
2: for having me. Uh, I don't know about super famous at all, but
0: local meteorologist, <laughs> yes, indeed I am. <laughs> well, well, you're I've... locally, you're Dayton famous.
1: When we when we told her, uh, our little granddaughter, Kellen, because apparently they watched WHIO in the morning, and when we said, well, we're going to interview uh, Kirstie Zantini, Kellen's like, what? You're yeah. doing me, what? Yeah. Dad, she- ask her if she needs help, or granddaddy, ask if she needs help.
2: Yeah, <laughs> so, she's so excited. Yeah. Oh, so I always need help. That's, I love it. I love doing, uh, you know, one thing we can do is school talks, So we get to go out and meet, you know, younger kids who are interested in weather. So, I, I mean, that's wonderful. I feel honored that she even knows who I am.
0: Oh, now, is that something that you, you know, has meteorology and weather always been something that you were interested in? Do you, when you go out to school talks, do you see yourself in those little kids? <laughs>
2: I do a little bit. Um, I grew up in Cleveland, so weather mm. is a huge... Yeah, it's a huge part of Cleveland and being in Northeast Ohio, we I mean, we had tons of snow, lake effect snow, and we did get severe weather, not as uh, much as we get down in Southwest Ohio. Um, you know, so it, it always interested me. I... I used to give the news to my parents. Um, I would pretend to be a news anchor. And my best friend and I, when we were little, would like get on our bicycles and ride around when it was like thunderstorms were beginning. And we'd yell funnel cloud because we'd say we were storm chasing. I love Which, it. Hindsight, that's not safe to yell funnel cloud. It's like <laughs> yelling fire in a movie theater. Like I really shouldn't have been doing that or riding my bike when it was storming. So
1: That's the equivalent you know, that's of texting awesome. and driving right now, I that guess. That is I
0: love that story, though. <laughs> right.
2: But yeah, so I always liked weather, but honestly, I didn't put it all together in terms of a career until I was in college. So oh, wow. it just I liked school and being a nerd, that was always something I enjoyed. It was just learning in general.
1: So what did you study in school to become a meteorologist? Did you, did you start with like a some sort of background or were you able to major in meteorology or climate or whatever
2: yeah so a lot of colleges do offer uh either meteorology as a major or um there's geosciences that you could do atmospheric science it's all kind of in the same boat um so when i went to college i always knew i liked news, and I I did my school newspaper, um, but I I really enjoyed school. I was one of our valedictorians, and I love my science courses, uh, but I I just honestly didn't know really what I wanted to do with it. So I went to Ohio University, and I was a broadcast uh, news major, and then while I was there, I could start taking some meteorology courses, and I took my first meteorology course, and I absolutely loved it, and so from then on, I was like, wait, I can kind of combine my love of news and telling people's story, but also the fascination of the atmosphere and sciences. So I just kind of picked up then a specialization in meteorology. And so I did both of that when I was in school at OU. And then I continued my education through Mississippi State and got another bachelor's degree in geosciences. And that had also an emphasis in operational and broadcast meteorology. So, um, yeah, it was a lot of school, but, <laughs> but it paid off. it was, It was, it paid off. And, um, meteorology is just, it's it's fascinating and it's humbling because we just are always continuing to learn. Uh, there's just so much about the atmosphere that is, you know, still unknown and is almost always being discovered. And then as technology improves and computers, it just, it's making the science continuously evolve. So I enjoyed that. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting. Oh, go ahead.
0: Oh, is, you mentioned the, the computers and things. Is that something that you are always having to learn? Um, does the technology, as far as what you have available at the station and stuff, are you always having to learn new technology and how to use it and all of that kind of thing?
2: Yes. Yeah. So, even so, I mean, two of the, the big, I guess, products or tools we use is the satellite, uh, which gives us cloud information, but so much more. Uh, but, you know, there was just a huge upgrade to the satellite system that we have available to us. And so that can give us even more, including not only, you know, what's going on with cloud cover, but you could see things like wildfire smoke, and it can help with hurricane forecasting and sea surface temperatures. Um, so that was fun to have that big update to the big satellites that we use here in the United States and really that other countries have access to as well. Um, So that's a huge thing, and and it gives us more fine-tuned information with even severe weather as storms are developing. Uh, But also our radars have evolved as well. Um, So that was uh, dual polarization was a big radar upgrade um, that we got to learn. And that lets us see, obviously, not only just raindrops and the movement of wind in a storm, uh, but it it slices even further. and, And you could see things like debris now when it gets lofted in a uh, thunderstorm, when you have a tornado on the ground. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that was fun to learn that and continuing to learn it as well. And, and just honing your skills is something that over time as a meteorologist, it's like it's it, it just each year you learn more each season, you learn more. Um, and yeah, so it's always evolving. And then obviously computer models continue to get better as well. So
1: yeah, I remember it's, watching it's crazy. Yeah. I remember watching th- we were actually watching WHIO when the Memorial day tornadoes came and I mean, you could, I mean, almost literally see on the the radar where the, the actual tornado was, it was just amazing.
2: Yeah. I, and that was one of the tools that McCall had used was, uh, it's called correlation coefficient and it showed her that there was debris that was in the air. And as a meteorologist, it's, it's, um, you know, you're, A broadcast meteorologist, a huge part of our job, obviously, is forecasting and tracking storms and covering weather accurately. Uh, But the other half of it is communicating to the public and keeping the public safe. So sometimes we could see things on radar that we know, um, you know, we know on the ground what's happening and we have to stay calm and collected and and really relay that seriousness. And that was a huge night for McCall because that's what she had to do. And she knew as I she was saw. tracking those storms that it was just destroying
1: you know, I, huge parts of our community. I, I am absolutely convinced you all saved lives at night. Just oh, with your reporting.
0: And I felt so Thank bad you. for McCall because you could tell that she knew, I mean, she was visibly upset. So she yeah. knew how bad that it was, but you could tell also that she was trying to be professional and hold it together. But I, yeah. I mean, knowing that I can't imagine what that must be like to know that there is utter devastation right now going on and people are looking to you, like, that's got to be an intense amount of pressure. It yeah.
2: it, it, it definitely is. Um, it's a lot of pressure and, uh, you know, it can be stressful. And, I mean, that night uh, we passed the baton to each other during severe weather events. I, you know, we never leave the station without somebody here. Um, and so that night when I woke up to get into work, half of what I was doing was making sure that, myself and Gabrielle Enright because we were the morning crew um, that she could even drive into work safely. I I literally called Gabby and said, you know, Hey, you need to avoid this part of green County because there's still an active tornado on the ground. And um, yeah. And I I hugged McCall as she left and I took over then for the rest of the overnight hours. And, you know, we hugged each other because we really didn't know we didn't know if people were going to be seriously hurt. I mean, we knew that this was really bad and I think everybody just kind of had to wait until the sun came up to see what was going on. And we did have a man in Mercer County who lost his life. Um, it was was very, very wild. Um, you know, but other than that, I think we were incredibly blessed and lucky that,
0: and honestly, that's a testament to you guys. Like really, if you, if, if that's people were looking to you and they've listened thank goodness, Um, and for those of you who are not local, um, the story about the Memorial day tornadoes and the one gentleman who did lose his life, um, his car came through his roof. I believe he was, he was sound asleep. He was an elderly man. I think like 73 or something like that sound asleep. Mm -hmm. His car came through his roof and, um, you know landed in him right. essentially. Yeah. And so um but that was the one loss of life and and thank God for you guys because um honestly I think like Steve said I think it would have been much much worse.
2: Yeah, And the National Weather Service um office in Wilmington, I mean incredibly stressful for them. So they they are the ones that issue severe thunderstorm warnings, tornado warnings. Um you know, they're the the government body, the National Weather Service that can do that. So we're very close with our weather service offices because we're partners. We're all meteorologists here locally and that's we all have the same goal in mind. Um, so their, uh, their work that night was fantastic as well. They were issuing severe thunderstorm warnings. They were issuing tornado warnings well in advance of tornadoes touching down. And I think that that really did help as well because we were able to relay like, here's the storms that we are tracking. Here's the warnings that are going, please get in your basement, stay in your safe spot, that kind of thing. And, you know, McCall and, and our National Weather Service really, uh, they did a fantastic job. And, you know, I'm honored that I'm a part of the team. But really, I, I'm, I feel lucky that, you know, we've got a great community also of people here that are just very weather aware. Mm. I will give a testament to our own, you know, everybody that lives in the Miami Valley. Like, I feel like everybody takes weather very seriously down here. Um, and that's a big thing as well. That yeah. we ignored, you know, people really took it seriously.
1: I, I get the feeling it's been like that for a while because we did a, yeah. an episode on the Xenia tornado mm-hmm. and just what we yep. learned about how the, the National Weather Service down in Cincinnati was knocked out. But the efforts they went through to shift to Cleveland and calling locally here to make sure that the, the reports were getting out. It's just amazing. Of how yeah, dedicated. exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah, y'all seem like a tight knit group.
2: It, I mean, you you really have to be. it is kind of a small world, I feel like uh, and and we all have the same goal in mind, so so we really just try to help each other out as much as possible and um and I think it just it makes it better for everybody that way as well and
0: and, yeah, so that being said, do you ever talk with the meteorologists at the other stations to kind of coordinate, and do you guys ever say, Well, I'm seeing this, and this is what I'm gonna forecast? Do you agree? Well, I wouldn't say we do that per se, but uh, we definitely all
2: have a good relationship with each other. Again, because we were all co- we're all covering the same storms, we're all covering, you know, the same snowstorms and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but within our own teams, we we collaborate. Like, we yeah. call myself Dante. Um, you know, we all kind of leave each other a note for each shift of like, here's what I'm seeing in the morning for the chance for storms tomorrow. Then McCall comes in, she'll look at the latest data. She'll add tweaks to it. uh, And that goes for severe weather threats or for Mm snowstorms. You know, she may pull my snow totals up a little bit. She may pull them down a little bit. Um, But we don't necessarily communicate that kind of stuff with the other channels. Um, That doesn't mean we're not friendly. Obviously myself Mm -hmm. and Jamie Jerozik are both on in the morning. So, We'll tweet at each other and, and you know, that kind of thing. And after Memorial Day, we all talk to each other about how everything was going and, and that kind of thing. Um, but within your own team, you have a lot of collaboration and, you know, we'll converse with the National Weather Service as well about things that we may be seeing when it comes to severe weather threats or, you know, when we're in the middle of severe weather coverage, any storm reports we get, we relay that to the National Weather Service so that that could help them maybe trigger a new warning or expire a warning and that kind of
1: was there any extra, so you you talked about traditional school, going to college and earning the bachelor degrees. Was there any Mm -hmm. extra training that you go above and beyond with your traditional education that that leads to what certifications you get?
2: Yeah, so there are two major um, associations of meteorologists. There is the National Weather Association and then the American Meteorological Society. And so both of these um, organizations are made up of you know meteorologists of all different type, not just broadcasts, but um, there are people from the National Weather Service and the private sector and that kind of thing. And uh, we are all can be a part of these organizations. And then they both have a certification or it's basically a seal of approval. And so you can apply for those types of things as well. And it's, um, a written exam cool. and then you basically, oh, yes, it's intense. It and then you like put it's... together <laughs> you put together a reel of um, some of your your uh, televised broadcasts that, you, that you're doing and um, a panel of your peers will then review it and give you a seal of approval or deny it. So I mean, like, um, you could go. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> a it's like you're getting
1: a doctorate or yeah. something right here.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, yeah, so that's, that's like a, um, that could be something that you pursue. That's, that would be a SEAL. Um, and both of those societies have that. Uh, you could go and get your master's um, in meteorology. You could study climate. Um, you know, so you can, there's there's endless possibilities of continued education above bachelors um, that you could pursue.
1: Now, we, we always hear people talking about the different weather models. You know, sometimes we hear about... Yes. The European model, or the, is it the North American model? And mm-hmm. so, when you when you get those models, in how much of that do you look at and get basic information, and then how much do you apply your experience to look at the different models? And say, I think this is going to happen, and make your predictions.
2: Right. Yeah, I I mean the whole point is that as a meteorologist, you're not just spitting out model data. Because it is a computer model, it's basically ingesting uh, information from surface observation, satellite, radar, and then it takes these governing uh, equations, these really long mathematical equations that have to do basically with what's going on in the atmosphere. And it takes that initial information, it applies the equations to it, it has different types of parameters that may be set for each type of model that you have, and then it projects it out into the future. So they're not perfect because we don't have perfect data going into this model. So if you have, you know, gaps in things like rainforest, mountainous regions, the ocean, we're not always getting, you know, perfect surface information from those areas. So the model then kind of has to, I guess, not really make up an answer, but, you know, apply some different parameters to it to to close in the gap there. So the model itself is not going to be a perfect, Response, and that's why as a meteorologist, we study what happens with the environment. Um, and we also, over time, as forecasters, can become better at picking up on patterns. And so you may have, you know, the European model is one, uh, the National Weather Service has the global forecast model, is another, and then they have a more fine scaled version of that, which is the North American mesoscale forecast model. And then even finer than that is the high-resolution rapid refresh model. (laughs) And that's for very, very small close.
0: I'm just in (laughs) awe of how much you, I mean, mean, no, it's awesome. I love it. Like, I just am in awe of how much you have to learn. And I don't think that the average person really thinks about all of this stuff that goes into meteorology. We just turn on the TV and they're like, oh, okay, it's going to be 80 today. That's nice.
1: Yeah, and all it takes yeah. is the- You're uh,
0: insanely intelligent and, and you it, know all of this stuff. All, all it,
1: and all it takes is the the uh, the jet stream to dip a little bit and it's like, well, well- I'm,
0: Seriously, like yeah. we're
1: getting ten inches of snow instead of two. I'm, I'm it's just, all your fault.
0: I, I'm just sitting here in awe right now because you're just uh, like the 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 words that are coming out of your mouth are just kind of blowing my mind right now. Like and you know what? Well, but you know that's
1: very kind. But with people with this type of responsibility. Oh yeah. I'm glad that you yes. have that. I mean, we've talked goodness. about it yeah. before.
0: I think on the show how how insanely smart people as humans are, and and you are a fine example of just how, like, just, I would have no idea even where to begin to understand any of this, so thank you also for making it in layman's terms. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was going to say, I hope that it makes, like, somewhat sense. I, I
2: was no, kind of babbling there about it, but, um, but yeah, so those are, you know, so there are different types of computer models, um, and then the two big ones, of course, are, of the longer range models which can show several days out in advance um and that would be the European model and then NWS's global or GFS that's probably what you heard us talk about NAM which you had talked about as well that's another model that one is more uh for a finer tune so that's just a couple days out but it gives you a higher resolution and then the the smallest or I don't want to say smallest but finest tuned model is the high-resolution rapid refresh, and that's just a couple hours out. Mm -hmm. So that would be good on days that we could have summer thunderstorms. It is um, kind of scaled to deal a little bit better with with the projection of thunderstorm activity, uh, things of that nature. So we look at all of those, and then again, as a meteorologist, you kind of have to interpret the data. And another thing that we can do as well is look at whether or not they're agreeing with each other or disagreeing. And um, that kind of helps give you confidence. So sometimes we'll talk about probabilities of if there's a high confidence that we're going to have this snowstorm, um, you know, the models are agreeing that this low pressure system is going to track in the same way, but maybe they're not handling the snow totals the same, or one may be a little warmer than the other, and that would give maybe a lower snow total or a higher snow total based on the, the you know, amount of cold air that would be ingested in the storm. So we have to interpret that. and. Um, sometimes we do a really good job and sometimes we don't. Sometimes the models completely disagree and sometimes they, they come in line. So unfortunately, because the computer models themselves are not, they're not perfect. Um, you know, that is kind of making it more challenging. And then of course, as you become more comfortable with where you're at and where you're forecasting at, you could pick up on different things. So you hope that that combination can give you a little bit of expertise and then also looking at, um, history or climate of where you live so you know if the record snowfall for the miami valley on a day that we're predicting snow is you know six inches and the model showing 15 chances are we're not going to end up getting that much snow, right. snow if day. We were, <laughs> for the next right, month if, yeah. if we were to have a record-breaking snowfall then as a meteorologist you stop and you have to go okay what in the atmosphere could be fueling something like this, you know, like what am I missing? And so that's what we have to look at when we're fine tuning things like snow totals. Um, and then unfortunately we know, and we've seen this many times that if you have just a 20 mile shift in the center of low pressure for snow forecasting, I mean, it really can impact how much snow you get and what turns to rain, what is sleet. Um, and so that's another thing. Sometimes you have to just do now casting, which is, just tracking it as it's coming in and kind of tweaking
1: as you go. Do you ever just have to say, this just doesn't look right. Just turn the computer off and on and let's look at, see what <laughs> it does restarted. again. <laughs> Restart it. Uh,
2: we, I've done it before where, where we're just getting some obscure um you know, numbers from the models and we're just like, that's just not going to happen. Or uh, sometimes computer models aren't very good at dealing with um, the surface temperature. So you have to think what time of year is it? if it's this april snow is a great example yeah, you know was it's a late say, season snowfall it was
0: a breaking record breaking one it did yeah so we broke the
2: daily snowfall record for the day which by the way the the old record was like a fourth of yeah four tenths of an inch so I mean, you know <laughs> to think like okay well what's going to break that record yeah. i also remember when i was looking to forecast for that snow was okay, it's April. Is it falling during the day? Because you're going to get a pretty good sun angle, which would then help to melt those snowflakes before they reach the ground. Well, this fell at night. So that helped to encourage the fact that, okay, this will likely be mainly a snow event. But then I was like, well, it's April. How hot is the pavement? So I looked at our pavement temperatures and they were like in the 60s that afternoon because we had sunshine the day before. So yes, you're going to lose a little bit of that heat when the sun goes down. The earth naturally radiates some of its heat. Uh, but you know, the surface temperature probably isn't going to drop enough that all of a sudden the, the pavement's 28 degrees. So that snow falls and accumulates on the roads and it didn't. So the snow melted totally on the roadways, which was great. Uh, it fell fast enough that it can accumulate on itself on the grass. But then again, once the sun came up the next day, most people lost oh, yeah, the snow
1: down. completely. Yeah. I didn't have to shovel <laughs> so, the driveway sure. or anything.
2: Yeah. Right. So, and so as a meteorologist, then it, you know, you you have to think of these little things that the models probably they, they don't always handle some of those uh, you know things like the soil temperature and that kind of thing as well. So you have to kind of add that yourself. You cut your snow totals down, or sometimes to me, I think a lot part of my job is just even relaying what the impact going to be. I mean, if the snow falls at night and the roads are wet, well, your impact in the morning really isn't going to be that problematic. You're not going to have to worry about driving through wet snow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so sometimes it's just focusing in on what the actual impact is. That's almost sometimes more important than getting caught up in, well, did I have three inches on my grass or did I have four? Yeah. So that was part, that's part of my job as well Is, is I feel like trying to relay that information of, of what's the, you know, biggest impact to you is whether or not you could get in a car accident in the morning because the roads are so bad, or is it really going to be that, you know, inch or a half inch less than what I had said? So that's part of what I think about too sometimes.
0: So then walk us through a typical forecast. You're getting ready to go on the air. What do you have to do to lead up to you being on the air for that five minutes or, or, you know, seven minutes, whatever it is?
1: Well, let's throw it in. Let's say it's severe weather coming. Okay. We'll throw it in okay. a bit.
0: So, if it's severe weather coming, hopefully
2: a couple of days in advance. At this point, uh, we will have begun to discuss that we have the threat for severe weather, um, and that's something we can see. There's another. Uh, there's the National Weather Service, and then part of NOAA um, is the Storm Prediction Center, which is another group of meteorologists that um, kind of paint a big, broad brush view of where areas or bullseyes of severe weather could occur across the country. Um, And their mission, of course, is to give good lead time to severe weather events. And by preparing people a couple of days in advance, then it limits people being caught off guard and then hopefully it can continue to save lives. Um, And so that's their mission. And so we will of course look at, that's another product we have, which is the storm prediction center convective outlook. You've probably heard us talk about, well, we have a slight risk for severe weather, or we have a marginal risk or a moderate or a high. Um, and so that's just kind of a broad brush, like, okay, we've got some of the ingredients they're setting up for a severe weather event. And then as the local meteorologists, our job is to paint that picture as we get a little bit closer, then we'll look at, okay, well, how much tape or uh, that's basically how much energy does the atmosphere have? Did we get rain in the morning? Well, that will kind of cut down whether or not we're going to be able to reduce the atmosphere for when the cold front comes through. And so those types of, you know, little fine tuning is what we will do. But a couple of days out, we'll start, you know, giving word that Wednesday is going to be our severe weather day. And then as we get a day out, we'll probably issue a storm tracking alert, which is like, okay, this is going to be a day where we need you to really be paying attention. Uh, and then it begins in the morning with my shift. So I get in um, in the middle of the night. <laughs> and it just depends. If there's no active weather, I'm usually in here between 1 and 2 a.m. So basically, I will-
1: we're, we're keeping you from going to bed right now then, right?
2: No, my day's usually not. I actually have to do the noon show today, so oh I'm gosh. going all the way to like 1 p.m. this afternoon. Anyways,
1: uh, okay. Sorry to interrupt, but it just made me think.
0: No, you're, well, and you have you're a new all, baby at good. home, so I can imagine I the do. kind of sleep schedule that you're on right now. I will say this shift definitely helped prepare
2: me for motherhood because <laughs> the whole weird sleeping was like I was not I was not even phased. <laughs> Um, but yeah so I usually get in between 1 and 2 a.m. I will come in I will look at satellite and radar just kind of see where where is the storm system that I'm tracking uh, what cloud cover do we have over us what is the current temperatures right now and then I'll look at McCall's forecast from the night before and then I'll start looking at the computer models and kind of fine tuning what I need to if there's anything I need to tweak or change Um, in house we have uh, our own little like high resolution model that we can use as well. So we'll take a look at that and um, I'll probably tweak the timing of when the thunderstorms could develop, or if we have rain in the morning, I may tweak the fact that our severe threat can go down or up. Um, I'll look at cloud cover will we get breaks in the clouds that could increase our threat for severe weather, um, that kind of thing. So I will fine tune that. Um, I send an email out to the entire newsroom then kind of explaining what I think the day will be like, and then give a couple days out for them as well so that our newsroom also sees several days in advance if we've got another threat for severe weather. They may tweak their, um, you know, story choices for the day. If we have a severe threat, maybe they'll talk to DPNL in the morning about what they're doing to prepare for maybe wind damage or power outages, that kind of thing. Um, so I kind of help guide the newsroom as well, if they want to change their stories for the day or add stories that may have to do with weather coverage and our staffing. Um, if we're going to have severe weather in the afternoon and evening, we may want to have some more staff on hand to cover if they're, you know, when the severe storm strikes. So, um, yeah, so even just my in-house responsibility is, is kind of helping them plan based on the forecast.
0: So I have uh, to so ask one th- this real quick: Who okay. makes the choice to send you out in the middle of the rain, where you just stand there with an umbrella and you're like, "I'm Christy Santini, and it's raining"? <laughs> Who do-, do you choose to do that, or does somebody uh, up above you, or is like, "Hey, you're going outside right now"? She gets
1: tired at the station, so <laughs> she's like, I'm just I'm going out and have a cup yeah, of coffee. Right.
0: <laughs> I right. sometimes it. I, I'm gonna. I'm not
2: gonna lie. A lot of times we want to be out in it um, because it's kind of. I mean, it's neat to see what you're forecasting in real life. Um, uh, Yeah, so for the most part, even our reporters usually want to be out in it because it is um, as scary as it can be. It's kind of exciting. And then also your hope is that, well, if I can show you what it is, then hopefully you don't have to go out in it. Um, So, you know, but yeah, it's kind of a group decision. We have obviously a, a boss as well, so it's kind of decided. But we have had times when we were dealing with the polar vortex cold back in when it was like my first winter here, I think it was 2013, 14, you know, we had to make the call that it was just too cold and dangerous for us to even stand out. So we did live shots inside of bus stops. And, um, you know, there are times, of course, obviously all of our reporters talk to us where we will be like, Oh, you can't go there because you're too close to the storm. Or if you're going to cover it, you have to stay on this side of it. And making sure our crews are safe, uh, is something that we do as well. But yeah, usually we'll be out in the field Um, it's just, sometimes we even have to make the call of like, yeah, it's too cold to be outside. Um, yeah. I
1: mean, if it's, if it's down below zero, it's like, okay, here's a shot from the six seventy five (laughs) camera. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So cold is just cold.
2: (laughs) Right. We just have to make that call of like, eh, it's probably not safe for all of, you know, when we had the wind chills that were like 30 to 40 below zero, yeah, we'll we'll be indoors for That's the shops right. for the shops in the morning. <laughs> but yeah,
1: we it's a group decision on that one. <laughs> is it just me, or has there been a little bit of a shift in forecasting? Because it seemed like it seems like a couple of years ago, people were trying to a week out say we're getting thirteen inches of snow and thirteen inches of snow. And to me, yeah. what I think I've noticed is now you, you weather people are starting to say there's some severe weather coming, but you don't start getting the predictions until it gets closer and you can make more accurate predictions. Is that just me or Yeah, I guess. Yeah.
2: I, I would say, and um, I mean, this is just my opinion on it. uh, But I do think that really with the internet and with, um, you know, everything on social media that can be shared and posted and, and then it can live for several days. I think that there is been a shift of being um, as accurate, but then also making sure that we're cautious, but then also people can look at computer models as well and just share one computer models, you know, 15 inch snow total. And, and they might not actually be, you know, forecasting there. They might just be sharing it out to be like, Oh wow, look at this. And then people see, well, I saw on Facebook that it's going to be 15 inches. So, part of us is trying to combat some of the like social media, viral pictures and, and, you know, that kind of thing that, that we have to come combat against and be like, wait, no, 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 no we didn't actually forecast that. Yeah. And so that's kind of, it's, it's, it's making sure that we're accurate, but then it's also just watching to make sure that, um, you yeah. know, if, if it's going around that we're getting 15 inches that we then can clarify, uh, no, we're, we're really not. Or <laughs> this is what we're thinking. How much? Um, so it, we try to be as accurate as possible. But part of it too is just making sure that you know we can give a responsible window for when that snow total realistically would be. I because pers- yeah, of course you you could share it several days out. But yeah,
1: I mean, I personally appreciate the way it's yeah. being done now. It's like okay, we know something bad is going to happen next week, and. I mean, you got to have some thick skin, I would think. Because yeah,
0: that's what I was going to say. Not, I'm not
1: the person that's going to get upset when, when you know, you predict and you were off a whole half inch of snow. What do these people do? I mean, they get paid for being right half right. the time. I wish I could do that in my job. When
0: I was- imagine, too, it's probably a challenge. Sometimes I know when you guys go live on Facebook or whatever, there's all those weird, creepy guys that make comments in the comment section about how beautiful you are and stuff that has nothing to do with weather. Yeah. Is, it, is it a challenge? Have you had to kind of toughen up? Uh, it, it's,
2: it's definitely a challenge. Obviously, having, um, you know, criticism uh, is not easy to take in any field. Um, but as I mentioned before, it is... It's a humbling um, science and field because we don't know everything. And the moment you think, like, I nailed this forecast, the week later you could totally blow a forecast. And you're like, I don't know as much as I think. And you have to be willing to say that and you have to be willing to adapt and grow. A part of it, too, is sometimes like it's hard to communicate. To forecast accurately, I say you could be the best forecaster and have the most accurate forecast that you wrote down in your office. But if you can't relay that to your community, then it's worthless. Um, So that's a that's a, a hard part of the job sometimes as well. Is just making sure that you are, you know, really relaying what the threats are, what the totals will be, the timing, and that you're not confusing. And you know, we have. 13 counties basically that we cover and we know in the winter like the snow does not just decide to fall uniformly across the entire Miami Valley. So we have to really make sure that we're highlighting, you know, different parts that might get more, that might get less, the timing changes. And so that's what we're all trying to cram in in three minutes is basically what we get um, to explain all of that. So it is hard. Uh, and with social media, it's a lot easier for people to, Say whatever they want and really have no filter to the criticism they may want to give you. Uh, so yes, you because. you kind of have to learn to have a, a thick skin, um, and and either reflect on yourself. Which I will say, if we have blown forecasts, I promise you, McCall and I, um, Dante as well, we will look inward and we have you know our own little text groups and we'll be like, okay, what ha- <laughs> what did we miss? what you know that kind of thing and that you have to do that as a meteorologist it's like you really have to so go back and examine was it something we explained improperly if the models were wrong um you know how did we interpret it did we miss something and we've learned from different weather events you know we've learned that certain setups will give us Severe weather where maybe it's, it's not really showing up in the models, but we know that if we're close to the center of low pressure, that that can give us spin up tornadoes. Like this, that's something that I just sticks out in my mind of just a little example that McCall and I have like picked up on because we basically started almost at the same time. So we've kind of like moved through together. Uh, and, and you know, we have some weather events that her and I have honed in on because of just being here and, and picking up on mistakes of the past and remembering them. So, you yeah. got to have a thick skin. So, it's not all horrible. Sometimes it does make you just look back and be like, okay, what did we learn from this last yeah, weather no,
1: event? That's I'm, good that you can do you that. You all do a fantastic job. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, Thanks. I mean, what, what are the last-minute things that can affect your prediction? What are they? Yeah, cool. like, like just some of those little <laughs> so Probably
0: like a million things.
2: <laughs> uh, a million. I will I'll say, uh, we'll just do severe weather because... Okay. Um, because I mean, we're going into severe weather season. Um, and it, we try to relay that as well in the broadcast. So like if we're, um, you know, forecasting severe weather a day out and in the morning I come into work and we have one of those mornings where we've got almost an overcast sky and we're kind of getting some rain that just moves through with a quick disturbance. If that doesn't clear up by like lunchtime, okay, I'm like, we're, we're dropping, the threat's starting to really drop. And if those clouds don't break at all, we can almost kiss the chance for severe weather goodbye. So we tried to relay that evolution throughout the newscast. So in the morning to the noon to the five, sometimes we'll jump on Facebook and kind of update as well. Now that can go in reverse, where we may not really have a threat or it's not super high for us. And all of a sudden the clouds break in the afternoon and we're really ramping up and we're getting sunshine and our instability is increasing. Well, if we get a front later that day where we know, okay, this might actually explode into some severe weather. That's kind of a little bit like Memorial Day, not totally, but um, so those kinds of things in in the in the summertime can impact us. Um, really watching watching the rebound from one round to the next is important when it comes to thunderstorm development. Cloud cover is really important as well. The timing of a front. Obviously, we can have severe weather in the at, at night, but um, if we're getting a little too late, we might end up losing a lot of that instability that we built during the day. So that that's a couple things that we look at that can kind of tweak things. With winter weather, you know, we don't have a perfect picture of each layer of the atmosphere. And so with snow forecasting, having just a, a, a small layer that might be a little warmer or a little colder than what you're expecting can actually skew um, either the type of precipitation or how much snow or rain you get. So those are just small things where we might have a little pocket over a couple counties that is warmer and all of a sudden they're starting to get rain and everybody else is getting snow. And, and that just happened. I mean, that's just, it. it's the atmosphere. The models probably didn't pick up on it. And, you know, we send up weather balloons, which give us a snapshot of the atmosphere from the ground to the top. Um, but, you know, we have one that goes out in Wilmington But that's it for the whole state of Ohio. That's the only weather balloon that goes up. So, when you think about that in terms of just incoming data for the snapshot of the day, um, you're lacking. But sometimes during severe weather, they will, the National Weather Service in Wilmington will launch a weather balloon in the early afternoon because we want to see, okay, how much of these ingredients are coming together right now? And we'll tweak. We could tweak our severe threat because of that. That's sometimes when the National Weather Service, they may issue a tornado watch or warning after they do that weather balloon launch and see like, wow, okay, we have a lot more tape, um, which is basically just a science term, but it's basically talking about energy. We have a lot more energy than we were expecting uh, or the winds are shifting with, with height. Um, so we may need to upgrade our severe weather threat. So
0: do you see a couple speaking, little things. Do you find it more difficult to be to accurately predict at one point of the year versus another like is it more difficult to predict accurately in the summer versus the winter or it's going to be time?
1: hot in the summer <laughs> cold <laughs> in the winter right, right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Come here.
0: laughs>
1: No no I totally get your
2: question Um I will say I think that I think snow forecasting is harder because there's a, so many little variables, like I said, with like just la- levels of warm and cold air, and how thick it is, and, and the changing of precipitation type. Um, so that's really that's pretty challenging. I will also say that nobody gets mad if they don't have a tornado at their house, but people get <laughs> very upset if they do not get the snow that they wanted or expected. Really? Yes. Um, yeah. I, yeah I, I never. I never really realized it in the past. I, people get really disappointed. They want. I mean, snow is fun, but snow also can <laughs> be a pain, extent. obviously and yeah. it can be dangerous. <laughs> Every kid um, but from but K through twelve. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Right. Every kid wants a snow day. Yeah. So I'll say blown snow forecast almost push a different type of pressure on you mm. of of you know being as accurate with those snow totals because yeah, people will they do they do get upset, um, I feel like more with snow. Hmm. Obviously like I said, if you're forecasting for the potential of severe weather sometimes it just isn't reached and that's fine. Or you have thunderstorms, but they don't produce tornadoes. Well, Hey, guess what? no one's (laughs) upset about that. The point is you need to be prepared for it. We're not going to be like, well, the threat's low. So you should just ignore it and just go play your baseball game. Um, You know, we don't want that, but uh, yeah, I think there's like a a slightly higher level of pressure with the um, snow forecast. And then there's a higher level of pressure when it comes to just, you never want to miss severe weather. That's, the worst feeling mm-hmm. obviously because it's legitimately life threatening and dangerous so you want to err a little bit on the side of caution almost i'd rather right. be i'm sorry i prepared you for the severe storm that didn't end up happening than you had no idea and you were totally caught off guard yeah well i mean a so severe they, they
1: definitely i mean a severe storm a tornado i mean everything could shift you could be watching oh, the yeah. models and everything and and mm-hmm. not see and it could just develop over yeah. Dayton right now, and is like, how is could you have even the, known that?
0: This what is it? Seventy-four tornado. Yeah, that, I think that's kind of what it yeah. was like back then too. It was like a fine day, and then all of a sudden, boom, tornado.
2: And then, yeah, and I mean, back then the radar was like archaic. So right. the fact that Gil was even able to to get that, you know, hey, get that warning, get that community um, alerted to what was going on is a testament to him. He was awesome. But I will say, too, you know, the, the, the threat for severe weather is, I will say, probably more scary. I, I feel like people are, are more afraid of severe weather. And after Memorial Day now, we do have a whole nother level of almost PTSD because it was mm-hmm. so horrible for the people that lived through it. The people that, you know, lived through their homes being completely torn apart and people that still don't even, they're still not living in their home. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we go into that. We take that very seriously as well of not, we don't want to, you know, bring false alarms or anything like that. So just, it's a a new level for us too, even as the local Mets here, of knowing that each time we have the threat for severe weather, there is going to be a population of people that are like really afraid. And, um, you know, we hold that responsibility in our our hearts as well when we're forecasting it. When, Not scaring, but right. preparing people. Yeah, sure. when
1: we did our, our episode on the Xenia tornado, we interviewed a survivor of the tornado and the lady yeah. was in fourth grade and she's so she she, still she, has she, nightmares. Yeah, she goes, I have PTSD. If if I yep. see a storm cloud, I'm headed to the basement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how traumatic I, I mean- was that?
2: Yeah. Yeah, And right. And she was a little girl. She was in fourth grade, not even, you know, an adult. And it still is something that she carries with her forever. We have a, I have a coworker who's a video, uh, one of our video editors. He was also a little kid um, during Xenia. And he has just vivid memories, but it's always in, in, he carries it with him forever because he'll, he'll never forget that day. Um, But he was in school during it as well. And yeah, so we, we definitely, you know, we have all this different type of weather all the time here in Ohio. And that was a huge tornado outbreak, not only for us, but I mean, even across the country, that was a huge outbreak. And, um, now that every summer, every spring that we forecast, we always think about that and think about who we're talking to and how we're relaying the message because we know that those you know, it's,
1: we never want that yeah. to happen again. Oh yeah. yeah. Now, is there an agency Maybe NOAA, maybe locally that tracks mm-hmm. the accuracy of forecast. Yeah, NOAA does. I mean, even we do our own forecasting
2: competitions with each other, and we'll just do we'll pick like a couple weeks and we'll track our 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 highs and lows and that kind of thing. But NOAA usually, I mean, the the thought is a, a seven day forecast is usually about eighty percent accurate. Again, the hard part is well, did it happen in my backyard is a lot different than the overall accuracy of things, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and it gets tricky with precipitation, you know, the chance for rain. Well, it didn't rain at my house, so you're wrong. Well, no, not necessarily. (laughs) I've I've read (laughs) that on Facebook. Yeah, Yeah, when we we say there's a 40% chance of rain, it basically means that there's, you know, a 4 in 10 chance that at any point in our forecast area, there will be precipitation. Mm, so it. we forecast yeah. for 13 counties. You know what I mean? Right. So that's yeah. where even precipitation with people, it, it, it portrays that you're always wrong. But, yeah. so, you know, necessarily, not necessarily. And that's why I, sometimes, I, I think it's a little easier to explain, like the chance for storms as isolated, scattered, widespread. If mm-hmm. I'm saying widespread across the Miami Valley, pretty much everybody's going to get storms. Yeah. If you're saying scattered, you're like, okay. And then if you're saying isolated, you're like, chances are I'll be fine outside. And, and really you would be. So I don't know. There's a difference of people. Some people use the, the number chance. But I think that sometimes that's hard to just understand that. I, I kind of prefer to use words like isolated, scattered, widespread. That's my preference. I
1: don't, you know.
0: Yeah. I don't
1: know. <laughs> yeah. No okay. We we have to slip this question in. Like I said. Okay. When when we told Kellen that we were <laughs> going to be talking to you, she got so excited. But the one thing that she had to ask right the first thing was, Dad or Granddaddy, please ask her who picks her wardrobe.
2: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> tell her it's just me. So when I look really bad, I just you know must not have had a lot of time that morning. <laughs> Well, yes, uh, that's pretty, pretty much the consensus or local, um, you know, local news. It's, it's usually we are buying our own clothes. We're picking out our own clothes. We're doing our own hair. and We're doing our own makeup. We've ever gone so back sometimes through. Sometimes when you get
0: criticism, it hurts even more because you're Aww. like, I did my own hair that. Yeah, I've <laughs> gone back through and been like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize that that dress had so many green tones it's- in it.
1: So WHIO oh, yeah. wow. is about to get an anonymous letter from somebody saying you all need to give these people like some per a diem here, or some, a clothing yeah. allowance. Here.
2: That would be great. There are, I mean, some stations do have clothing allowance. Uh, I used to work in Youngstown. That was my first station I ever worked at. And I did get a clothing allowance there, which was cool. But again, I still picked out my own clothes. So, um, you know, clearly there were some duds, uh, but we do have like, um, You know, we'll have help with, like, if you're really, like, I don't know what to wear of, of, you know, some of the veteran people that have been here for a while, kind of give tips and help the newbies out and that kind of thing of, we keep it simple, try to do, like, basic dresses, and especially with being on the wall with all the colors that are behind us.
1: Okay, how do you do that? Because I've seen (laughs) pictures of the green screen, and it's green. How, <laughs> yes. how do you know exactly where to point? Yeah. Oh, so we can never do station
2: tours again. Um, you know, pre COVID we would have people that could, you could come in a lot of classes would come in, which was really fun to show kids because this was like the magic of <laughs> how that works. But we actually have two television monitors on either side of the wall. So when I turn to the right and I look straight ahead, I can see Monitor which shows what you see at home. So I could see myself with the graphic behind me. And so that helps me to figure out where to point. And then when I look straight forward at the camera, there's also a monitor there that shows, again, me with the graphic behind me. So I could see where to point and where to stand. And, you know, that way I could, like, move over if I realize I'm covering up a word or something like that. But it's backwards, right? Is it reversed? Uh, It is a mirror. Yeah, it's a mirror reflection. So it takes practice. It does it, and I, at OU, at Ohio University. I was lucky we had um, a local uh, TV station. It was the PBS affiliate, but it was all student run, but it was the news. I mean, in the, in Southeast Ohio, it's either WOUB or, you know, there's a couple other news options, but it was one of the options and, and we got to work on it. So I did get to practice like before I even graduated, I thankfully was pretty comfortable on the green screen. Uh, but yeah, it's really weird. And to be honest, if I think about it too much, it almost confuses me. If I'm like, wait, I'm raising my right hand, and I'm seeing it as my—I can't think about it.
1: So, for a meteorologist, is there a a career progression? Like, what's the pinnacle? <laughs> is it like to to be? Does you know, everybody want to be for- on the
0: Weather Channel? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think
2: so. And there are a lot of meteorologists. So if you go in the, in the broadcast television world, um, you know, the highest level is the chief. So that is like McCall call is like our team leader. So that is, uh, I would say a career goal. Now it also has very strange hours. So, you know, so it just, you kind of have to do what shift you almost prefer as well. Um, but the chief is like the, the weather team leader for whatever station you're in. So that's pretty cool. Um, But yeah, some people never even want to be on television. Like this isn't the only path. If you do study meteorology, um, you could work for the National Weather Service. Um, There are more companies now that have meteorologists on staff. I have a friend that worked for a big insurance company. And part of his job was kind of highlighting where big severe weather events were going to be because that could be where they staff some of their call centers. Uh, for like huge hailstorms or hurricane damage and people lose their homes and then they need, you know, help with insurance and that kind of thing. So that was his job. That was really neat. That's you cool. I never a lot even,
0: of, yeah, I never would yeah, like that. Yeah, like there's
2: companies, yes, that you could use that, um, you know, and then obviously like some like oil, gas, electric, that kind of stuff also pinpointing or being able to kind of guide a company to where there's big severe weather events or where we're going to have cold winters or, or warm winters and, and that kind of thing. Uh, you know there is some private sector that you could do that that people can employ their their meteorology skills. Airlines as well is another big one yeah. that will have on staff meteorologists, um, and then uh, the military as well. So there's yeah. definitely a lot of options that you could go. Oh, and going into teaching. Yeah. So there's a lot of yeah. different things that you can do uh, with a meteorology degree that isn't television. I graduated with you know, several of my friends that were like, I'd never want to be on TV <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and they didn't. And there's, and, and that's, that's totally fine because, you know, it is a, a big chunk of our job. is not only being accurate, but accurately explaining what you're forecasting and, and helping to educate on, you know, different weather events. And we don't get hurricanes here, but we have to talk about it a lot. So you have to, oh, yeah. you know, know how they develop and earthquakes and, volcanoes, you know, you're kind of the resident scientist in general, um, at your station. So part of the, that is it's fun to kind of explain all that, even though I, you know, I'm not a geography major. I wasn't, you know, yeah. I didn't study that fully, but I still know enough to help explain site like tectonics when we have, you know, volcanoes or an earthquake and
1: that kind of thing. So I got a question. I'm hoping you can answer this one from our okay. from our Xenia episode we mentioned that the the Native Americans the Shawnees called Xenia the land of the native wind or the mm-hmm. the, de- the devil wind devil, so yeah obviously tornadoes have been a part of this area for a long long time for them to
2: Right. Give it that nickname. Is there something
1: special or is there something more or
0: geographically weird about Miami Valley?
1: Why would they notice this?
2: Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I wish that there was like scientific, like truth, scientific truth to be like, oh, yes, there has been studies and research and it's been confirmed that, you know, if you have a, a river running through this and your city's on the left side of it, you'll have tornadoes. There isn't. It's kind of like just like tornadoes happen everywhere. Tornadoes happen all across the country. They happen in states that aren't considered Tornado Alley. Um, we, Memorial Day is a great example. We had tornadoes in almost every county. So, uh, you know, uh, and we've had other parts of the Miami Valley where there have been very similar paths to tornadoes that isn't just in the um, in Green County. So I don't have like a, a totally like yeah. There's definitely enough evidence that that's for sure. There must be something with it. But I will say, you know, you can have thunderstorms that rotate and don't uh, and don't put down a tornado. Mm-hmm. There could be something with the topography and the elevation, or you know, the way trees are, or you know, something that. Maybe does lead to it to become more favorable, but I, I can't necessarily say for sure. Like that, that yeah, Green County for sure is going to get the most tornadoes always huh. because we get them all over the Miami Valley, yeah, and we get them all over the country. And, and there's a lot of tornado myths of like you know a tornado is not going to touch down uh, in a big city. Yep, They definitely does. <laughs> We've had that. Tornadoes can't cross water. Uh, yep, they've gone from cr- across the Ohio River and touched down in Northern Kentucky or touched down in Cincinnati in the opposite direction. Like. Yeah, they do. Um, Tornadoes do what they want. They do what they want. And they're, yes. Unfortunately, it's like they do what they want. It is really interesting because clearly that name, they've, we've clearly had severe weather in uh, Southwest Ohio for decades and decades and hundreds, you know what I mean? So that's neat that that's been observed. Um, And to be honest, we could probably look at, because when the tornado touches down, it'll, leave a scar in the ground and Mm -hmm. that was something um that we could see on google earth which is neat I mean not neat it's sad but (laughs) it is neat in a science geeky way of like you can see on aerial views of the cornfields like where things have torn or when trees were like uprooted and um and you could see where they touched down so to like think of like the scars that are in the earth from the different tornadoes that have touched down or trees that have had to like just re- go, regrow naturally in a forest because and there it, was a tornado that touched down.
1: It could be just something as simple as a tornado hit and tore up their village, and, and they just yeah. said, "Well, the devil went to this." Yeah. Yeah. Who knows?
0: Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Still- you know. I mean, Right. You've been doing meteorology for many, many years now. Do you still <laughs> have, that. no, I don't mean it in like a bad way, but. Oh,
2: oh no, I appreciate it. Hey, many, many years. Yeah. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <Do> you <laughs> I'll
2: take still, that experience is not bad.
0: <laughs> do you still have that, um, I guess kind of respect for mother nature or do you kind of get desensitized to it after a while? Like after you see, Oh, of course, like this is just another day in at work, Or or does it still kind of strike you?
2: Oh no, it still strikes. And I think that that's how, I feel like that's why, uh, like meteorologists, like why why you choose to study it. Mm -hmm. Because it just never, it never gets old and it never gets, I don't want to say it never gets predictable, but it doesn't. (laughs) But it's always, it's true that it's it's always changing. And what we know about the atmosphere is always increasing, but we don't know everything. So, you know, it, that to me is just so fascinating. You could have similar setups and, and, and have totally different outcomes. You know, we have severe storms that develop and one will put a tornado down and, and one won't. And it's just like it, it never gets old. Snow never gets old to me. Mm-hmm. It's fun every winter to, to watch the first snow and forecasting for it is a challenge. I mean, that's part of it, too. It's challenging. So that also keeps it very exciting as well. Um, but yeah, just know also that like, if a forecast is wrong or blown, we beat ourselves up. Like, we're not just like, Oh, too bad. So sorry. Like we (laughs) understand that that businesses and, and, you know, schools cancel and businesses plan what they're going to do and golfers want to get out and and golf and and that kind of thing. So, So uh, yeah, nothing is worse than that.
1: So you're admitting you're not perfect.
2: Oh, Oh, of course not. (laughs) Definitely not. Yeah. Oh. Christy,
1: we're, we're coming up on our hour. This has been
0: thank an you absolutely so informative
1: much. episode. Oh. That, yeah, it, 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 I've learned a lot.
0: I didn't even know how much thank I didn't you. know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just want you to know, well, too, thank
0: you guys.
1: that we, we appreciate your efforts. And yeah, absolutely. I, we understand the responsibility that you have. And like you said, to schools, the people that have to commute and go to work and the airlines, everyone who depends on the weather. And we're all affected by it. And we just appreciate and recognize the responsibility that you all do for us. And thank you. If
0: everybody is ever mean to you about your blown (laughs) forecast or whatever, you just let us know. We'll take care of it.
2: Thank you very much. I will say, you know, in general, we've got a really good community. So I I appreciate the kindness. And, you know, uh, overall, it's definitely very, very much. Everybody is very kind and respectful. To each other, and um, I love living here. I mean, I, I'm not from this area. I'm from Cleveland, so when I moved down here, I I I just never left. I don't, I you know, I don't want to. So <laughs> part of that is is the community and my yeah. interactions with with everybody that lives here, and, and them letting me do my job and me hopefully helping. So uh, I, I definitely appreciate that I can call you know the Miami Valley this area my my home now yeah. and. Um, you know, it's it's a fun job. You guys are very easy to talk to. I was actually quite nervous.
0: Oh, so no, you. we're just. <laughs> I'm yeah,
1: not. Like, I really <laughs> was. So I really appreciate you both.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. So uh, we got to wrap it up.
1: Yeah, what we got to wrap it up.
0: All right, so if you want to find us, you can go to anhourofyourlife.com is the easiest way if you want to. Because
1: I put all the links right there.
0: Yeah, um, if you want to send us just an email, it's hour at gmail.com. On all the socials, Twitter is alosthour and Facebook and Instagram are both an hour of your life. All right. I think that's it for this week. So
1: again, Kirsty, thank you so much.
0: Absolutely. And
1: from our studio Thanks here for having in- having me. And from our studio, you're quite welcome. (laughs) And from our studio here in Sugar Creek Township.
0: Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us.